0: Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to Kentucky World Language Association members seeking information about important events, initiatives, and professional development opportunities. Each month, we will be talking with people in the know about world languages from across the state. Topics range from collaboration to the program review, from ACTFL news to interviews with master teachers. Language Talk is produced monthly by the Kentucky World Language Association board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Language Talk KWLA. This is your host, Laura Roche youngworth and today's topic is the Global Competency in World Languages Program Review. Since 2009 and Senate Bill 1, the concept of reviews have been included in Kentucky schools' accountability system. With the goal of program improvement, Last year, the World Languages Program Review joined the existing list of program reviews, including K-3, Writing, Arts and Humanities, and Practical Living and Career Studies. Overall, there's four main goals for program reviews. They provide schools a way to, first, improve the quality of programs, second, encourage the integration of the program skills across the entire school, ensure equal access to learning opportunities for all students, and finally, allow students to demonstrate understanding beyond a paper and pencil test. Here to discuss the revised Global Competency World Language Program review are three guests from the Kentucky Department of Education, Office of Next Generation Learners. We have Jamie Barton with Program Reviews, Kelly Clark with Global Competency, and Alfonso de Torres Nunez with World Languages. Welcome to Language Talk KWA. Thanks, Laura, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And thanks for, first off, finding a time when you three can all come together. I realize how hard that is for you. Uh, You're very busy at KDE. And for sharing with our listeners, because we have lots of questions, and this is very important to us, and and I just can't thank you enough for being here. So let's talk about kind of program reviews overall. Even though it's been a part of our accountability system for the last six years, for many world language educators, this is kind of a new experience. We're, we're newbies to this. And can you maybe explain how Global Competency World Language Program Review fits into accountability? Like will this year's scores count or matter? And does it matter to which level of school it is?
1: Okay. I'll take that. Being the program review lead, that sounds like something I might be able to answer. Thank you, Jamie. Um, Global Competency World Language is new in accountability this year for the high school Um, and what that means is last year high schools across Kentucky they participated in the global competency world language review they went into assist in the computer they answered the questions they um, listed their evidence and they wrote rationale explaining why they scored themselves the way that they did so this year will be their second year of actually doing that and so their scores will go in with the other program reviews to come up with that 23% in accountability. So high school is accountable for their their Global Competency World Language score this year. Now, for elementary and middle schools, this is setting a baseline year. And basically that is looking at your program, going into to assist, answering the questions, um, listing your evidence, writing your rationale, and sort of establishing a, a beginning point where we are now and then next year in 1617, elementary and middle school will do the same process again but that
0: score will count in accountability so they're basically a year behind the high school so the scores that middle and elementary schools put in this year for this school year will they count
1: not toward the accountability number they'll be establishing a baseline they'll be reported But when the program reviews are added up to come up with your 23%, they will not be included in that. So it's a practice year. Yeah, it's kind of a practice year.
0: Okay, so next year when middle schools and elementaries put in their scores, those scores will be used, but they won't go be reported until really the following school year in the September.
1: Right. Is that correct? Right. Um, The deadline for submitting your program review information is June 1st and that information is usually reported back
0: to the schools in the first couple of weeks of September. Okay, okay, well that helps clarify some. We were a little confused if this year mattered or not. Okay, are there any specific, um, you mentioned deadlines and I just wanna clarify that. Every district can kind of set their own deadline, right? Right, right. Okay, but when is actually the state deadline to have your scores
1: in? June 1st is the deadline for having all the information uploaded into ASSIST and so you have to think about that process because someone at the school will actually enter the data into ASSIST and then they will submit to their central office folks who will have to approve that sign off on it and then they will upload it for accountability purposes.
0: Okay and are there any recommended ways to go about how to do the program review in a school?
1: Wow. That's, that's a huge question. It is. It is it's big.
0: Um,
1: I think the best thing to do is to keep in mind those four purposes that you spoke of at the beginning of the, the podcast. The quality, the demonstration, the access, and the integration are key to keep in mind as you work through the program review. Um, we've seen all kinds of different ways across the state that schools do this and do it well we've talked to schools that form school-wide committees where everyone in the school is on a committee, a, you know, a different committee there would be a K-3 committee, a writing committee, a global competency world language committee and so on and those committees would meet monthly to discuss progress to look at evidence and to determine where they might need some additional um, information to support the score that they are leaning toward giving themselves which doesn't come till the end of the year so you still have plenty of room for growth. Um, We've also unfortunately seen or heard of schools where the program review is one person and that's just not an effective way to do a program review. It's not best practice and if you think about the program review toward the accountability side, which I like to think of the program review more as as improvement for kids, but if you do think about the accountability it really doesn't make good sense to have one person in your building working on 23 percent of your accountability
2: and if I may especially because each of the different uh... areas of the program review they are geared towards a specific population in the school you have the first two uh, areas curriculum and instruction and formative and summative assessment that a teacher is the one that actually can go through them more Whereas, for example, for professional learning and uh, school and administration leadership, that is a part that is actually more geared towards the administration of the building, who is going to be able to introduce or to provide evidence in regard to, for example, master schedule, uh, uh, CSIP, and
3: all those things budget allotments, resources available. available. Okay. So when we think about the program review about uh, it, it's a tool for improvement for students but as an, an, as an entity in itself instead of testing these areas in paper and pencil tests for student mastery the program review really looks at the quality of the program that's going on in the school which includes what's going on in the classroom for the students But also, how are teachers involved in that planning? How are teachers learning about what they need to in order to effectively give instruction to students? How is leadership supporting that through different resources? And then, you know, how do we know whether kids are getting it or not? And then that that goes back to that formative and summative assessment piece. So as far as a tool. It's so much more than just an right. accountability score. It's really something where you can look to um, gauge uh, gauge where your school, students, teachers, and leadership is in this process, and then you have next steps
0: on how to improve.
2: It's a, it's a tool designed to grow and sustain programs over time.
0: I think the part I like most about it, kind of like with PGS, finally I'm told as a teacher, <laughs> What should I be doing to be a good teacher? Mm-hmm. And if you look at the proficient score for throughout all the program reviews, you know this is what's expected mm-hmm. to right. have a high-quality program. You know, here's the proficient score. This is what you should be doing as a school or a teacher. And if you want to go up beyond
1: that's right there's right. the that's distinguished right. and so the I advice there
0: is that we want to live in the proficient that's where
3: we'd like to see ideally everyone but we know not everyone starts out there mm-hmm. and that you want to, to move as you feel comfortable into distinguished areas and it might be just on a few characteristics at a time I mean as a school you certainly just wouldn't leap into the distinguished right. category and that Laura that brings up another really good point um, everything is aligned if you're following your standards if you're following your world language standards um, and we'll talk about global competency mm-hmm. and sort of the lack of standardization <laughs> okay on that in just a minute but if you're following all your um, Kentucky academic uh, standards and doing it in such a way that helps grow kids' learning and your programs, then that's going to match with program review. It's not something else on top of what you're doing. It's reflecting accurately what you are doing. And I think that's something that gets lost in
0: all all the accountability talk. Well, there were some major changes. Yes. To not only the Global Competency World Language Program review, but all of them. Um, you know, I really don't want to get into the why, but what changed? And, you know, if you feel the why is important, you know, I please think, share the that. the why is important. Oh, okay. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. why is important. Well,
1: let me talk first. I'm going to let Alfonso and Kelly talk specifically about Global Competency World Language Program Review, but let me just say that all of the program reviews got what I've been calling all year a facelift. Um, they look different. Um, they have new covers which is that's going to help schools distinguish the t- or distinguish the 2014
4: from mm. the current
1: 2015. So if you're looking at a program review that has the four blocks of color you're looking at the old version so the new versions are cooler colors that's the way you can identify those. Um, the second change across all the program reviews is the uh, structure. the structure of the rubrics have changed um, just a little formatting issue, we now have the questions, Um, they come before the scoring choices, so it's just a little better flow for everyone. And then the professional learning section in all the program reviews is now aligned to the professional learning standards that were passed um, by the board in October of 2013. So the professional learning sections look the same in all five of the program reviews now let me just go ahead and clarify um, scoring one thing on one program review let's say we were talking about writing and we were looking at the professional learning and let's say we scored proficient on every characteristic that doesn't necessarily mean that my my proficient score will carry over to another program review even though the questions are the same because my school might have chosen to do their professional learning in a certain area so each of the questions says Professional learning in a content, and it's speaking of the content of the review that you're looking okay, at. That's good. and I'm going to let Kelly and Alfonso talk about the um, <coughs> global competency world language because if the others got a facelift, this one had some plastic surgery. <laughs>
0: oh well,
2: uh, the rubric, uh, the rubric was revised based on the intentional focus of global readiness uh, competency by the Kentucky Board of Education following the presentation of Kentucky's Global Education Position Statement and the Resolution Supporting Global Readiness for Kentucky Students at the August 2014 board meeting. Uh, We received a lot of feedback from educators across the state. And I'm gonna
3: interrupt Alfonso. We sought feedback (coughs) um, both on the content, um, and, and how the characteristics were um, presented in order to make changes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Barnes. Yeah, no, it's okay.
2: So we, we received that feedback uh, across the state, uh, noting that the 2014, when it was called World Language Global Competency Program Review, mm-hmm. needed clearer expectations and a more explicit, explicit progression of indicators to allow schools to design and build strong integrated and systemic programs, including selecting relevant and aligned resources for the programs. Now, in addition to all that, we created supporting systems like, for example, the Global Symposia, like the Regional Learning Sessions that Jamie has been leading across the state, and also the Learner Launch Grants that we're going to talk about in regard to global competency. And on top of all that, we created as well the progressions document that we will uh, Mm -hmm. give more details later on.
0: Well, in a nutshell, does global competency, since you mentioned that, does it relate to interculturality, which is a part of the world language standard? It, are they one and the same? Or are they different?
2: I'm going to go, first of all, with what the definition for interculturality is. Interculturality is the interaction of people from different cultural backgrounds using authentic language appropriately in a way that demonstrates knowledge and understanding of the culture. This is a definition that is actually taken from the National Council of State Supervisors of Foreign Language. Um, When you cross that and when you cross many of the ICANN statements of the intercultural competency in the Kentucky Standard for World Language Proficiency, you're going to find a lot of matches between those and the expectations that are set by the uh, global competency matrices. That you're gonna find in in our website in regard to global competency, um, there is a lot of correlation. Okay. Because whereas in our core document, in our the Kentucky standard for world language proficiency, it refers more to the to the use of the language in that cultural context, so that we can create that interculturality. You know, when it comes to global competency, is basically like the icing in the cake is how you can use that not only in the context of the world language uh, learning experience but also across the world in different content areas. So what
0: is global competency then? So
3: and just trying to finish up what um, Alfonso said um, and trying to move into Mm -hmm. what is global competency. If you're looking at interculturality within the context of a world language class, that affects the students only in that world language class. And so global competency is a broader view. We like to refer to it as more of a change in mindset um, about incorporating both um, global issues, economic issues, geographical issues. There are ties in science. There are ties um, in lots of different areas um, and, and even um, we have experience with some math lessons that um, work with just some, some global concepts. And I think the difference is, um, interculturality is about using that skill in authentic con- context and, and in authentic ways. Mm-hmm. And global <coughs> competency is about having kids even be able to enter that conversation in any content area, okay. Um, it's about having the opportunity to know about things that are going on beyond their school doors, beyond their communities, beyond the areas in Kentucky where they live, and sort of open the world up. The world is already in their palms. Right. Um, what they can't do yet without help with teachers is connecting the things that they see and hear from the web around the world to make sense of it, and so it's through that exposure. So with that in mind, uh, global competencies, the ability to live, work, and communicate with people both next door to you in the next county, but also across the United States in whatever cultural context they may find themselves, and across the world.
0: Okay.
2: And I would like to note on, on that, that the specific mention to communication, is very important because the state of Kentucky, if not one of the few, is probably the only one that actually in the definition of global competency incorporates that skill that mentions proficiency in a world language.
0: Hmm.
2: So Kentucky is actually one of the leads in the nation in regard to what global competency is about. Because we incorporate (laughs) precisely (laughs) that in order to be globally competent, you also have to be proficient in a language.
0: Now that does get into what that means, but we won't go there right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. One of another change I know that came about or was more emphasized in the newer version of the program reviews is this word triangulation, mm-hmm. and I cannot tell you how many conversations, <laughs> text messages with Alfonso, sharing those texts with everybody. <laughs> what What do you mean? What is meant by triangulate the evidence? I can believe how
1: many text messages you've gotten because <laughs> I get that phone call about three times a week. Um, The concept of triangulation comes to us from researchers, of course. Um, Researchers consider an agreement or a finding that comes from three or more sources to be stronger, to be more believable. And so when we talk about triangulation, we're trying to help schools look beyond one source of evidence. And let me give you an example so I think that'll make it a little clearer. If we were looking at evidence and we were think let's make it really easy for this first example we were thinking about professional learning um, and I was trying to collect some evidence to prove that I felt my school was proficient and a characteristic that might talk about opportunity for professional learning so I might be able to use um, a certificate to prove that I attended a professional learning I might also use uh, the agenda from that professional learning and I might also use the minutes that I, that I took at that professional learning. Now the problem with that is all of those pieces of evidence come from one source. And so even though that, that proves that I did that and my minutes may be very thorough, what would be a better way to show that I was having the opportunity for professional growth is if I used something to prove that I went to that, and then it would be great if I had a lesson plan that incorporated what I learned at that professional learning. And then maybe some student work that demonstrated that from what I learned at the professional learning, my instruction was altered in a way that got a better performance from my kids. So when we think about triangulation, I want schools and teachers to think about, could I support this claim from different areas does my information all come from my lesson plans that's what we're trying to get away from Um, not that a lesson plan isn't a great piece of evidence it is but a, a better way to show that would be to have three or more sources to support the same piece of evidence I want to make sure that people don't think that I'm saying you have to have three pieces or three different sources for every characteristic because that's not what I'm saying. Um, The way the new program reviews are formatted, the question says, um, can I triangulate this evidence to support my score? So what we're saying is at the end of the year, when you sit down to come up with your score, can your committee say, well, we have verification of this score we have evidence of this coming from these different sources and so that's that is why we added the triangulation piece
0: can i play a little game with you? sure okay and i'll try (laughs) okay i know i'm putting you (laughs) on the spot here no that's okay okay so i'm just flipping through Okay. trying to find an easy one okay Okay, let's do um i'm kind of near the end so we're on standard four and i'm looking at policies and monitoring okay and a proficient score says school leadership allocates equitable time, mm-hmm. appropriate facilities, and resources to mm-hmm. implement the Global Competency World Languages program. Mm-hmm. So what? give us some examples of triangulation there to support that school. Can I help out a little bit? Yeah, yeah I was okay. just going
1: to say master schedule is the one that said, jumps to my head master first. Master
0: schedule that actually shows
3: that time was allocated, uh, a piece of a budget that shows that there was adequate funding for either subs or a half day um, would would also show that Um, and then something else that would show that would be how many teachers actually were involved in um, the um, if they're funding something in particular how Mm -hmm. many teachers um, out of all the teachers of the school were involved in that you know two teachers out of a staff of 90 is not really opportunity for all.
2: And I would dare to say, and this is probably a good recommendation, I'm probably already answering the next question that we might have on on the progressions document. Before jumping to collect evidence for each question, I would probably use first the progressions document so that I can know what the expectations Mm -hmm. are for each question. Because once I know what the expectations are, I can shape in my mind what type of evidence am I gonna be collecting for this type of for this type of expectation. So for example, for the specific characteristic, there are three types there are three expectations for that one. One, whether the principal allocates time and resources, two, whether the principal allocates a facility or not for for that education, and three, whether the principal collaborates with the global competency and the world languages teachers when planning for this allocation resources and facilities. So,
0: so maybe the evidence should support each one of those columns. That's exactly. a really right. nice way to look yeah. at that. And yeah. the, I so maybe you need like to explain that. the progressions document a little bit more yeah, because Alfonso
3: created this whole progressions document and it, it vastly simplifies, strips out a lot of the mm-hmm. the fl- I, I don't want to say there's any fluff in the program review but it, it just goes straight to the it, point it does. of what yeah. you really need right to be bare focusing bounds. on. Mm-hmm.
2: So The reason behind the progressions document is because we were receiving a lot of questions from the field and also feedback on what do I need to be proficient or distinguished. And as we were reviewing the different characteristics over the summer, we found a lot of disconnection between one characteristic and the other, and the progression was not very clear, Mm -hmm. not only in the shape of expectations, but also in the shape of language. So when we started reviewing the characteristics, uh, call colleague that Di- I am our uh, elementary teacher and coming from the elementary, if I'm gonna give a rubric to my students for self-evaluating, I need to make sure that the expectations are very clear and very easy and very straight to the point so that I can empower my students in order to evaluate themselves. That's the progressions document, so that it can state in each characteristic what are the expectations. So when it comes to, when it comes to the document, we, uh, we are explaining it in, with four different questions. One, what it is. It's a document that articulates the expectations for each characteristic in each demonstrator of all the areas of program review. Why? To illustrate the clear progression of expectations for each characteristic. How does it work? Each characteristic has one chart. On top of the chart, you're going to find the different expectations that are actually in bold letters. And from the top to the bottom you're going to find how the how the um, let's say the the the, the how the program is implemented in each uh, in, e- in each expectation according to those levels of no implementation needs improvement proficient and distinguished. so how are you going to use those first you read the first uh, the first line on the bottom where you're going to find the expectations for each question and as you go for each expectation you're going to go from top to bottom to check for the level of implementation in each of the characteristics. So
0: let's say you do that and you're kind of circling on like I printed out the progression mm-hmm. chart. So I'm mm-hmm. circling, circling, circling. And I realize two are in the column for proficient ones needs improvement. What do I score? It's
4: a
1: good
3: question.
0: You're, a good well question? you're gonna you're going to make
1: your score decision based on what your evidence will support. Um, I, I just wanna remind folks so I just can't say it enough It, it would be great if every school in Kentucky was proficient and I know that we're going to talk about this in a few minutes but what we found out when we audited some schools schools are doing a lot of great things but the one one of the main problems is the evidence doesn't match the characteristic that that people are submitting them for for example people are saying we're we might be proficient in demonstrator to be but when they show us their evidence their evidence is not supporting to be so when you're trying to make that final decision where is my score you know I've got two circled over here two Mm -hmm. over there you've got to go back to the evidence and you've got to look does your evidence hold up to what you're saying that your score is
3: I think one part of the confusion comes in is that when in testing we use a holistic four-point scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But the program review, those characteristics, the words in each characteristic, as you move up the different levels, it's not, I'm kind of more proficient than I am. It's either you're all there and you have the That's evidence the answer to support right there. it. <laughs> okay. You can't That's right. have 90% there and wish yourself into that next 10%. Okay. Right. So we're, we're asking people, and I think the progressions document really helps. It You need to take time reading the characteristics from left, from no implementation, all the way to the right because it builds on each other so proficient isn't just what's in that category it also includes what was stated was in there. no implementation and so, needs, needs improvement so you need to move up the levels and if you can confidently say with the evidence that you've already talked about we know we're beyond this but have we met the next one right that's where the conversations need to occur which is why we suggest This not be a a Lone Ranger exercise, someone in an office desperately trying to scrape up evidence because that's, it's the
0: conversation about the programs across the school that make this a powerful tool. So just to clarify, if I'm using the progression document and I'm doing whatever uh, one I'm on and I'm clicking away. Proficient, yes. Proficient, yes. Mm, this one's needs improvement. And there's three, char- there are three sub-characteristics. Right. Three strands. Three maybe. strands within a characteristic. I need to score that needs improvement because we are not fully proficient. Yes. Is that correct? Right. In
3: our audits, okay. we use the language, your needs improvement, um, moving toward, toward proficiency, showing the fact okay. that you are almost there all you need is this last piece. But that's a really, um, that's an honest look at your school program rather than looking at something and going, ah, oh, yeah, we're almost there, let's just score here. Right. So, And, and that's where it gets uncomfortable okay. and that's where, that's where the tool becomes something useful instead of something you just check off and move on. Right.
2: Because remember, the tool is actually designed, the purpose of the tool is designed to grow and sustain programs, not right. just to check and I'm done. It's precisely to provide a quality education to our students. And sometimes you have to have these conversations, you know, whether you are here or you are there, how are we doing it? And that was actually one of the main changes that we made to the program review. Uh, Past years, the program reviews were more kind of like, if you don't do this, blah, 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 you know, but, This year is different. This year, all the questions has been uh, set around a yes or no answer. And if you do it, whether you do it or not, and if you do it, how do you do it? Are you doing this needing improvement but moving towards proficiency? Are you doing this period? Or are you doing this going above and beyond the expectations set already? Well, to kind of
0: just hit the head on the nail a little bit more, I'm going (laughs) to ask this because I... This question is just such a big one. So let's actually get into the program review a little bit and um, since global competencies is a major component of it Mm -hmm. in standard one curriculum instruction, are you all still using the word standard, like standard one, standard two? Area. Area. area?
1: I I think it's on the web there are some documents on the web that's that say standard Mm -hmm. so when we say standard we know that you're talking about that first
0: area but i think those two words area and standard standard are kind of interchangeable Mm -hmm. just want to make sure so in standard one curriculum and instruction demonstrator 1a just the very first one there Mm -hmm. it says the school provides opportunities for most students to learn and build global competency skills and (coughs) benchmark proficiency skills in one world language so let's just pretend like we have a school they have a world language program they're rocking it that's good but school-wide global competency is not occurring right it says and so you cannot be proficient correct right so
3: in in some of the the changes that we made um we wanted it to be clear and i guess it's just you can't do that enough to make it clear to everyone because we're a big state with lots of people involved um The world language piece is um, on equal footing with global competency. It's not one or the other. Oh, we'll be globally competent and not do world language. Or we're gonna do world language and we're just gonna give the global competency a pass. So the expectation is that both are included in your programs. Of course, they'll be growing at different levels and rates because they are different um, aspects of the program review but another word Laura in that that's almost more important to me is that provides opportunities for most students Um, and so we we talk a lot in the progressions document really points this out it's you know again it goes back to that opportunity and access for quality programs for all students Um, and we want we want all kids to have exposure to these kind of ideas the idea that people speak different languages and you know what it means and the cultures surrounding that but also that people live um who who look just like kids you know playing soccer anywhere in the world but you know that there are um different people around the world that may have different different um
0: perspectives perspectives on uh, things mm -hmm. and
3: that it's it's not something to be afraid of but it's
0: something to learn about Okay, That's so kind of idea. piggybacking off of that, okay. that I understand. It said and. And. That's clear to me. Okay. So if I look at a different demonstrator, maybe demonstrator two, characteristic A, the wording changes, and it says, to what extent does the global competency slash world languages curriculum focus on communicative proficiency and alignment to the actual yada yada. What is the slash? I, I don't get that. How do I understand that?
1: Well, we use the slash in practical living career studies in kind of an and format. I think that, that it's gone through some progression over the years, but it's uh, practical living and career studies. So when we think about global competency slash world language, um, it's, it's kind of the same thought. The, the name of the program is Global Competency World Language. Um, And when you think about the program as a whole, when you take the review part out and you just think about the program, we're working on global competency and world language together.
3: I think what that indicator really points out, Laura, is that since they are two different elements combined in one program review, Mm -hmm. um, it's trying not to just put the emphasis of teaching global competency and interculturality or global context only on the world language teacher that it's, uh. it's all teachers responsibility in the school through global competency to help students to, to learn about these uh, different places and people and ways of being um, now the languages need to be aligned to the, the actual standards and then the Kentucky standards for world language. And also, whatever uh, global competency that you are um, introducing to your students also follows along the lines of those standards in the, in the three different modes of communication. And, um, and
2: and that is exactly what I was about to say. If you use the progressions document, You you're going to look at the chart for that specific characteristic, and there are only two specific expectations for that characteristic, which is whether the curriculum Focuses on that communicative prof- prof- proficiency and where it's aligned to national and state standards.
0: Okay, so again, just reinforcing look at the progression tool. The, the progression <laughs> tool really
3: helps. Okay. Um, yeah, side by side, I'd have them sitting right out. Because okay.
2: it's, it's very easy to go on these side conversations, but if we stick truly to the expectations, mm-hmm. right. that is how you're going to. F- focus yourself on what it see that they need to do.
3: Mm-hmm. And then to help clarify that just a little bit more on the, on the second part, to what extent does Global Competency World Language teachers use mm-hmm. rubrics and scoring guides? Um, so there it is. It's together. And so the, the emphasis and the onus on that is just not on those World Language okay. teachers. Okay. It's on everyone across the, the school. And then the other thing I wanted to say about that is the the idea of global competency standards, yeah, they do not exist. Okay, we do not have them. They don't exist on a national level. They're not going to exist on the state level. We get questions about this. <coughs> global competency is not something that's going to have an, you know, a line by line standards document because it's more a mindset and a soft skill than is world language. Um, and so when people say, like, well, what what do I use? How do I know whether my kids are globally competent or what do I even shoot for? We've got two or three um, uh, partners that that, we, um, that are used nationally. And one of them is the Ed Steps Global Competence Matrix, which has um, matrices in each content area. Um, now, I find those um, a little general. If I had to plan mm-hmm. classroom instruction, that would be a little vague for me. So we also utilize the VIF um, learning indicators. They're K-12, and they also have teacher expectations for what Global Competence looks like in grade one, in grade five, in the, in the classroom uh, environment. So that's a little more definite.
0: And where are those located?
3: Those are on the KDE Global Competence webpage and they are listed um, under the resources block. Oh. And those are those are free, those are available online for free. We always want to use free resources for everyone in the state
0: as much as possible. So those will help one kind of determine benchmarks for global competency. Right, and then you okay. can
3: also look at the language in the program review right. to help uh, set a path for those benchmarks. Okay. And is there anything else, Fonz? No. Right now those are, um, VIF has been used a lot in North Carolina um, where they actually have state legislation for global education. So okay. we're following their lead on that piece a little bit. Um, and as more things come up and available in different states, if if they have standards and things, we'll, we'll put them on the website for people to see. But we'll never have a set of standards for global competency because it's just, it's something softer than that. It's not... Um, it's not something that can be gauged that way. Okay. It just doesn't work that way.
0: <laughs> well, one thing, and I think Jamie, you probably mentioned this, but I, I do want to revisit okay. it. Moving on to Standard Three, professional learning. Okay. Um, so, when you're doing the Global Competency World Language Program review, you, when you answer that section on professional learning, you're thinking of it only within that content. That's right. right.
1: You're thinking about professional learning in the area of global competency world language so you know what have we done as a school to help our program in this particular area what we're trying to avoid is you know you're sitting down at the end of the year and you're saying well we all went to that one pd on such and such you know even though it's not global competency we all went to a pd that's not what it's talking about it's talking about content specific
0: now, on Demonstrator 1A, within that, it talks about the PGPs, which, of course, mm-hmm. every uh, teacher would have one. And I know, like, at my school, we only had to have one goal. You mm-hmm. know, I'm very thankful for that. I have run into <laughs> teachers that have had to had a goal for every program review at their school. And right. And it just blows me away that that's being required of them. But if most of us, when we just have one goal, and if, let's say, my school, the three world language teachers, are one goal all kind of supports our goals for, you know, being right. better world language teachers, we can connect it to SIP and so on. Is that good enough for that? So when it says, um, it asks about teachers' PGPs and the extent in which they reflect teacher self-reflection about their practice and students' learning, can that just be the three world language teachers at a school? Or does it have to be school-wide? Because nobody else is going to do <laughs> right A PGP goal for world languages, if they teach Spanish, I mean not Spanish, uh, social studies or math, they're going to have a goal that reflects the needs of their mm-hmm. content area. And ninety nine percent of the time, right, right, mm-hmm. that's um, a good question. That is a good question
1: and one that I haven't really thought much about. But I think the thing that popped into my mind first is Kelly is very famous for saying um, the best way to think about the program review is in terms of good, better, best, and I think. If no one in your school had a goal about world language or global competency, that would be not good. Right. But if just the the world language people did, that would be good. But if we're just going to dream about the ideal school setting, how awesome for my kid if every teacher in the building had global competency, world language as a professional learning goal. That would be the dream state. And so... um, even though the the on-ramp to proficiency, to quote Kelly again, is long, that that's okay because we want to increase, and I'm thinking about my own children right now who are in middle school. District A, to be unnamed. Yeah, unnamed <laughs> district. But, you know, they're not getting any exposure at all to world language, um, and they're not getting much with global competency, and I'm just thinking how much of a disservice that is for them. So I'm thinking that if just the world language folks had that as a goal, Mm -hmm. that would be a great place to start. But I would hope that we would move beyond that. Mm -hmm. Colleagues?
2: Especially, I mean, uh, you can base that on the fact that we have the content area matrices for global competency, where you have specifically those expectations in regard to global competency for each content area. But at the same time, at least from the world language part, I would say that world languages teachers, uh, or if you know a world language teacher, you you need to befriend that person because uh, world languages professionals, for many years, they have brought the world to the classroom. So they are the natural leaders in the building in order to do this. They know how to do it, they know because they are basing they are using their own experiences of interacting with people from other countries, uh, going to other countries, uh, being in those cultural contexts. They are the natural leaders. Those are the people that principals, administrators, supervisors should go to whenever it comes to, okay, so how do I plan this building-wise? Mm-hmm. You know? Or if you don't have a world language teacher, it's okay to go to the high school level or the middle school level right. where you're gonna find one and say, how can I do this? You know, I mean, not everyone knows everything. We are a team. We grow together in the same direction. But until we don't have those conversations, nothing will mm-hmm. ever happen.
0: I just had mixed feelings about this one because I hear what you all are saying, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. But then I think the PGP is personal. I was I was going to say the same thing. I think. I know every year my PGP
3: was always about technology. You know, I need to get I need to get on the on the (laughs) cusp of that wave. Oh my gosh, I'm falling behind again. And I would not want someone
0: to dictate what my learning goal should be. And it's supposed to be based on data from your students, right? Right. From the student survey. However, as a
3: school, as an entire school, if we're scoring. Uh, uh, just really not even needs improvement but like we haven't even begun on this journey to have the faculty together and to say look at your goal and I could still work on technology and I could include skyping with foreign students and using that that's in a my good class mm-hmm. in order to try to pull in that global element. Like that. Now, every single person in that room may not want to make that connection, and you're right, to be told what your personal goal is right. makes it not a personal goal right. anymore. <laughs> it makes it a mandate, and that's not what we want to do. Right. But I think as teachers think about, well, how is this lacking? How, how do I learn about this? It's about that innate need for bringing things to your kid's classroom. And it's going to take some outside elements. It's going to take people working together. We need to take down the silos. We need to communicate more with each other.
2: And that is precisely what this is about. It's about opening the windows and the doors of the classroom to the world. You know, so you cannot just yes, keep in your silo anymore. You, in, a, in such an interdependent world community, you need to provide those connections for our students because our students today, that's how they learn. They learn by connecting teams by connecting to real areas is not anymore close to only one.
3: And, and that was a great segue to the next. So part of the <laughs> supports though Vaughn. So part of the supports that we've offered are um, learn and launch grants. So this school year, 16-17, is going to be the second round of Learn and Launch Grants. But um, if you want to connect with these schools, now I hope they don't, they're going to come back and say, Kelly, you gave my name out on a podcast. <laughs> they are part of the grant process and they knew as part of that is that they're going to have to share their journey with other, other schools. Um, they are listed on the Global Competency webpage on the KDE website. But they are Campbell County, um, McCracken County, um, Webster County, and the newest one's Boone. Please don't contact Boone yet. They haven't even started. But what they got was grant money to begin working with a partner agency, VIF, out of North Carolina, um, who provides both um, a ready-made set of global lesson plans, but also terrific um, professional learning for teachers um, as far as... Community building and globalizing the look and feel of your classroom very small steps each each step of the way But these schools have already been um, Campbell McCracken and Webster have all been working with um, VIF now for um, nine months if you're eight, not part months.
0: of that grant how can you I mean other than email those counties is there a way you can access those lesson plans or do you have to they pay not, for it? They are
3: they, not, it is a paid service it is a paid service and so there are um, there are free lesson plans and things out there if you start exploring some of them are on the KDE webpage. Um, I know um, World Savvy and Global Nomads are two of the groups that have a lot of uh, free lesson plans okay. but again as we said before as you're grabbing things off of the web, make sure what you're sharing with your kids is aligned to both your standards and to um, Mm -hmm. world language standards. And,
2: And that's why we have created the Global Symposia, so that we could provide resources to administrators, supervisors, and decision makers to know what to do in regard to, to not only to world languages but also to uh, global competency, mm-hmm. which I guess it leads me to to my side about world languages. What are some of the resources that we are putting out there, specifically for those schools that do not have that economic capacity? Well, we are we have been working. We are still working on three possible scenarios. Scenario number one: you have the money, but you don't know who to hire because you cannot find that world language teacher because there is a shortage, not only statewide, but also nationwide. Well, we have international programs. We actually have two, one through the Spanish Embassy for visiting teachers of Spain, and the other one through the the UK Confucius Institute uh, to bring Chinese teachers over here. Those programs enable Kentucky schools to bring international, stu- international teachers over here, highly qualified and certified, so that they can come over here and teach the language. Or if we are talking in case of an immersion program like the ones that we have here in Lexington, Kentucky, they can teach a specific content areas like math and science in the target language. Scenario number two, you, don't have, you have the money, but you, don't, you do not have enough to hire a teacher. Well, we need to reflect on how the students are learning today and how, much, how many resources are around them that help them learn. What am I talking about? Technology. Now, in order to talk about that, first of all, we need to start from, the, from one single fact. There is no technology resource out there that can ever replace a teacher. The resources that you're going to find over there, they're going to be supplemental. But what if still you want to use something like that because you had the capacity for a teacher, but still want to offer world languages education? Well, again, going together with what Kelly was saying, one of the things that we have been working on since January is in the creation of a set of guidelines to provide to equip those districts and those schools with the knowledge that they're going to need in order to go to the market out there. And find a resource that is gonna be effective and efficient in the teaching of world languages. Two, the two main guidelines of this document alignment to the standard, either mm-hmm. national or state, and second, the adherence to the methodology and the pedagogy recommended by research in regard to world languages uh, learning which in this case, in this state, if we use our standard, it refers to the three modes of communication and uh, putting in there the intercultural skills. Scenario number three, you do not have any money at all and still you want to do world languages education for your students, thank you by the way. Um, (laughs) We have been working with Kentucky Education and Television to create something uh, that is called the World Languages Toolkit. The World Languages Toolkit, it goes in the spirit of the former Art and Humanities Toolkit that was designed to provide the schools with a way to offer arts education where they didn't have the, the teachers. So the World Languages Toolkit is the same. Now, this World Languages Toolkit has been broken down into two stages. Stage one, which is from kindergarten to second, that is actually using the resources that were created previously by KT. In the shape of Arte y Mas, Art and More, which is a collection of more than 60 videos um, eh, that incorporates both arts and world languages to teach that language to the kiddos. It, it's only available through Spanish, and this year, in order to adjust it to the times, has been reviewed so that it can be aligned to the Kentucky Standard for World Languages Proficiency. <laughs> Stage two, third to fifth. KT has been creating, since some months ago, a collection of videos that actually reflect from the Kentucky, reflect on the Kentucky standard for word languages proficiency, and through, uh, through using that target language, is providing that word language education to students from third to fifth, pretty much in the same way like Arte Mas, was doing before, which is integrating other content areas. So, for example, there are videos that reflect on arts and practical living. There are videos that reflect on art and school health. There are videos that reflect on art and, uh, excuse me, on world languages and art. You know, so by uh, using that approach, it's providing that world languages education. Okay. These resources, they are available through the KET website and they are for free and I need to repeat again they Mm -hmm. are for free (laughs) they are available to anyone who wants to use it KT provides support uh, uh, in several ways very
3: comprehensive support very comprehensive
2: support Mm. and uh, And you don't need to be a
3: world language teacher Mm -hmm. in order to use these materials
2: and even in that situation KT has anticipated to the possible stress that that could cause to the non-native speaker teacher who is facilitating that type of instruction in the classroom and has created ways for those teachers to not only check that the students are able excuse me not only uh, not only check that the students are learning the language but that they are doing it correctly.
0: Mm. I have two more questions. So if we have a school that has a very large ELL population and they have no world language educator, and English is really their second language at that school. Can they count English as their world language program? No. (laughs) Okay, why not?
2: And uh, And I'm gonna base my response on research that is actually out there about this. Often native heritage speakers get stuck in the development of their first language as they focus on acquiring English for both academic and social needs. The value of continuing to develop their native heritage language is to truly position themselves as bilingual, not in purely social conversations but in all aspects of language, formal and informal, academic and social, literature and informational texts. Yes, English language learners need to acquire English, but to deny access to continued development of one's home language limits the future, their future in career opportunities. Why waste such a valuable resource for the learners personally and the nation collectively? Research has shown over and over again that the content knowledge and linguistic proficiency gained in the first language for immigrant kids, their home or heritage language, help them acquire content in academic subject matters as well as English. This is the base of biliteracy. In addition, when English language learners value their own languages and cultures and knowing that the formal school system and others in the society value them, their identity of being a contributing member of the community is enhanced. The reverse is also true. And these facts are supported by the work of Joshua Fishman, who reminds us of this in his powerful and enlightening writing. Populations experiencing language shift have no at- alternative by and large but to be bilingual. They need to not bemoan this price of their weaker status, but it is a price that at least has the potential of adding perspective, opportunity, variety, and nuancing to their lives. The bottom line is, regardless what their first language is, all students in the United States need to have the opportunity and access to study a language that is not their own. The study of additional language and culture helps them build and strengthen a solid foundation for literacies in both languages and cultures.
0: Okay, well that makes that clear then. And finally, last school year, a sampling of program reviews, uh, audits, sorry, were made across the state, and what advice do you all have? What do you glean from that that you want to share with listeners?
1: Well, we actually learned quite a bit from those pilot audits in the spring, and we are still learning as the audits continue this year. Um, We audited eight schools last year as a pilot and this year we're auditing 24 schools across the state and as I review the the information and look back over the notes I think that there were four key things that came out of the pilots and those things were common no wherever we were in the state whether we were in Eastern Kentucky or Western Kentucky at a large school or a small independent we were finding that schools are struggling with the purpose of the program review Um, we have many schools in the state that are still focusing on the uh, accountability part of the program review as opposed to the fact that it is a program and that the goal is to improve the program so purpose would be one thing that I would encourage schools to to think about the second is there seems to be some questions statewide about the rubric and I think that Kelly and Alfonso both talked about reading the rubric and how it is best to read um, from left to right starting once you've read the question to go directly to the limited no implementation and read across. The third lesson I would say that the agency gleaned from these audits was the fact that schools struggle with writing rationale. There's a question. What exactly is the rationale? How long does the rationale have to be? And I would encourage schools to go directly to the KDE website, um, click on the program review page, and over on the right-hand side there is a a great document about how to write a rationale, kind of a definition and a step-by-step. Um, It's been there for several years and I think it sometimes gets lost, but it is really a great resource. And the final lesson that we learned, and the one that we're struggling with every day to help get the word out, is about evidence. Um, There seems to be a lot of questions across the state about how much evidence should we collect? How do we collect our evidence? How long do we have to keep our evidence? And I would just really encourage schools to focus on quality. As opposed to quantity Um, we we visited a school in the audit last spring that had an evidence room and that was a little overwhelming and so um, we don't want teachers to be bogged down in keeping evidence your evidence is simply supporting the score that you're rating yourself so you know if if you're asking if you're a principal and you're asking your teachers to keep 10 pieces of evidence per characteristic that's too many so I, I really would encourage schools to think more about the the quality, the quality as opposed to the quantity and and i think in a nutshell those are the four the four bigs that we learned
0: with okay. the audit those are great things to share thank you well jamie kelly and alfonso has been a joy discussing mm-hmm. the program review with you and i know many of my questions have been answered but if a listener still has questions how best can they contact you So uh, the contact um, information
3: is at the bottom of every one of our web pages on the KDE website. So Jamie Barton would be at the bottom of the program review page and Alfonso de Torres Nunez would be at the bottom of the world language page and Kelly Clark would be at the bottom of the global competency page. So we're here to help and support your schools and the kids in Kentucky and help Kind of demystify some of this. I think a lot of it just goes back to um, common sense. Uh, somehow that's got we've gotten away from common sense in the program review. And so one of our coworkers said, if 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 someone was reading your evidence and the characteristics and your rationale, would a reasonable person be able to put those things together? And and does it tell a story? And so. We just want you to tell the story about how you rated yourself and what evidence supports that.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Laura. You're welcome. It's been great.
3: Thank you. Thanks.
0: Well, it's time for the Polyglotting News. Welcome, Jean-Marie Rurie Willoughby. And what do we have with the universities?
4: Thanks, Laura. November 30th was the deadline for submissions for the 68th Annual KFLC, the Languages, Literatures, and Cultures Conference of the University of Kentucky campus. Faculty in UK's Departments of Modern and Classical Languages, Literatures and Cultures and Hispanic Studies are preparing an exciting program for the April 14th through 16th conference. As always, teachers may attend KFLC for free and may find out details about how to register and on the program at kflc.as.uky.edu. This year we feature sections on 12 of the Languages, Literatures and Cultures we teach at UK as well as teaching English as a foreign language, linguistics, second language acquisition, and translation studies. The annual College of Arts and Sciences Passport to the World, the Year of Europe, will continue next semester with events beginning in mid-January. Events are open to the public, are usually free of charge, and you and your students are welcome. Details on europe.as.uky.edu. Finally, a great resource for authentic content in your classrooms is the UK campus radio station, WRFL 88.1. Each week, it hosts a Russian radio broadcast every Thursday from 4 to 6, a new program on Latino music on Saturdays from 6 to 8, and the World Beat Music Show from 4 to 6 on Mondays. Wow. I, I'm shocked by that. That is awesome. Well, <laughs> take, take it. a listen, Laura. I will. <laughs> That's
0: impressive. Um, from KWLA, we have an update from the board. Greetings. We wish to report that KWLA was well represented at Actful in San Diego in November with a rather large contingency from our state. ACTFL President Jackie Van Houten did as proud as she led this record-sized convention of almost 7,000 world language teachers. Mm -hmm. Along with the AETF Kentucky chapter, KWLA co-sponsored the president's reception in honor of Jackie and a great time of professional learning and networking was had by all. The full KWLA board is meeting in January for our annual winter retreat and we will be working on showcase, conference, PD awards and strategic planning in addition to the 2016 budget. If anyone is interested in either joining a committee on KWA or learning more about open positions on the board, please contact us at infokwa.org. We hope you have a great spring semester. And this wraps up our podcast on global competency and world languages program review. I wish to thank our guests, Jamie Barton, Kelly Clark, and Alfonso de Torres Nunez for joining us. And Jean-Marie Rie Willoughby and the University of Kentucky for providing the location, technology, and broadcasting of our podcast. This is Laura Roche-Youngworth for Language Talk KWLA saying au revoir, happy teaching, and hello, Jason and Cole. Night-night.